with you. Fantastic. Love you guys. Hey, pull out your bulletin insert. There's a few announcements I want to make before we turn to God in worship. At the top there, what you'll notice is that the deacons and session members will be getting together tomorrow night and tomorrow afternoon we have our meetings. So if there is anything of concern that you would like to be brought to the attention of the church, whether it is somebody in need or you don't like the way my wife does something, it, make sure you see a deacon or an elder, right? <laughs> yeah, deacons and elders. Deacons and elders, can I see hands? Show, show us your hands. See one of them, all right? Fantastic. Uh, backpacks, packing program thing that we do on Tuesday night. That'll be Tuesday night, 4 p.m. No, yeah, okay. You know what, talk to Nancy if you have any questions about backpacking. Um, you know, we provide, we are one of the groups that supports Sharpsville School District with providing meals for kids at a low income that need help on the weekends. So talk to Nancy about that. She's got a lot of information. It's a great program. Get involved with that. Um, also, Nance has a note in here that today is the last day. If you've been considering being a member of the church um, and you're not yet a member, make sure you see me and let me know that you're interested in that. All right? There's a whole bunch of announcements on here. Take some time. Look those over. Mark your calendars for the ones that are important. Is there anything... Thank you. Are there any other announcements that are not in the bulletin insert that we need to note before we turn to God in worship? Nothing? All right, then. Linda, lead us in worship. Good morning. Please stand and join me in our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 19 and 111. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Let us praise our Lord.
confession. This will be followed by a time of silent confession. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. So we find this prophecy in the writings of Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. People of God know that in Christ Jesus. Your sins are forgiven and be at peace. You may be seated. Let's have the kids come forward. Okay, so because you guys did such a good job last week and you guys all saw the gorilla, you guys are going to help us today figure something out. Something big, huge question I have. Okay. Okay? All right. So here's my question for you. What is the church? Oh, now the gorilla seems easy now, doesn't it? What is the church? Does anybody have a guess? Do your parents say we're going to church? Okay, what does that mean? That you're coming here, right? So we could think that the church is this, right, this building. Which, to be honest, is the building amazing? Is this church pretty cool? Yeah. We've got beautiful stained glass windows. This is a great facility, isn't it? Okay, so is this the church? No. Ryan's right. This is not the church. This is just where the church gathers to worship God. And we use this building to help us focus on that. But if this building wasn't here, could we still be a church? Can we be a church in the parking lot? No. Oh, my goodness. Could we be a church down at the reservoir? Yeah. You know, there was this idea that if we wanted to baptize somebody in the lake, we could go to the swim beach and baptize them there, and we could still be the church doing that, right? Yeah. Huh, okay. So if the church is not this building, and if we could be the church in the parking lot, even though Maggie doesn't think that's a good option, or at the beach, then what is the church really all about? Okay, the church is where God shows up. What else is important for having church? What? People. We 
are the church. See this? See all those people out there? That's the church. See all y'all right here? You're the church. You know, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. This is the church right here. Us. Us hanging out, us being goofy, us reading the Bible, us praising God. Us is the church. Now, you might be asking, hey, why is this really important? Well, because this week we are starting our study of 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And what's really interesting about that letter is he is going to say it's actually not just us, but it's everybody who calls on the name of Christ. That here's the really intriguing thing and the amazing thing about church. Are we the only church? No. No. There are churches all over this world. We have brothers and sisters everywhere who are worshiping and praising God, who are celebrating what he has done for them. That's what Paul wants to remind us this morning, is that the church is bigger than just us. Which, you know, at times we feel pretty big, don't we? Pretty important. Yeah. But the church is so much bigger than that, and that was God's plan. His intent. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to send you guys back to your seats. And then we're going to look at what Paul is saying. All right? So let us pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, even the smallest ones, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For, Lord, you alone are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. (laughs) Really? How old are you? You trying to get me in trouble up here? Yeah? (laughs) You know, my wife yells at me when I make candy part of every children's sermon. I know. She's counting. Okay, can we? Uh, is that what you are? Great. Okay, let's, let's turn to the sermon. How about that? All right. I, there's something wrong when the pastor gets heckled, I think. Maybe something right? Is there something good about that? All right. Okay, I'm going to get started. So this morning, we are going to begin our fun and our exciting journey into Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We know it as 1 Corinthians. But before we jump in, I want to take a moment and I want to give you a little bit of background to what's happening here. Because here's what we know. Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth. Proclaiming the gospel, evangelizing, bringing people into a knowledge of who Christ is. And we find this detail back in Acts chapter 18. So this is, this is Paul's custom, right? When Paul arrived in a new city, what he did was he went to the synagogue. He always started making connections through the synagogue. You know, I... I was thinking about this this past week. We read about synagogues all throughout the New Testament, but honestly, has anybody ever been to synagogue? Has everybody, anybody ever experienced? Okay, so a couple of you. And what's intriguing is I did a little bit of research on synagogue. Synagogue today is very different than what it was 2,000 years ago. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word for synagogue is synagogue. And it simply means to bring together or to gather. Basically, a synagogue is where people gathered on Sabbath to read and discuss Scripture in addition to offering prayers. But it wasn't necessarily a place of worship, like the modern synagogue or like our experience with the church. Worship happened at temple in Jerusalem. The synagogue was not the focal point for worship. 
Synagogues were also much more than what happened on Sabbath. They were a place that addressed a number of the needs in the community. They were utilized as schools and courts. They were a safe place for travelers to say kind of like a European hostel might be. Political meetings were often held at local synagogues, and they were a place for gathering and distributing charity. Basically, a synagogue was a community center for the community. So back to Paul. Paul arrives in Corinth, and on the Sabbath, he's going to head to the synagogue where he would try to persuade both Jews and Greeks that Jesus is the Messiah. Because that was Paul's calling to share the gospel. His entire life had been dedicated to this one purpose. He's basically a street preacher of sorts in a culture where people would gather publicly to both discourse and debate topics of the day. Luke then goes on to tell us that eventually, over time, the synagogue is actually going to turn on Paul, that they would come to oppose him and that they would become abusive towards him. And then he goes on to record this event for us. He says that the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and they brought him to the place of judgment. Basically, the synagogue brought Paul before Gallio, who was the Roman authority for that area. And the charge that they charged him with was he was persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our laws. Now, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Gallio wasn't a Jew. And so do you think he really cared about who and how the Jewish law has been taught? No, he didn't. In fact, he is going to go on to dismiss the charges and then the Jews themselves. I think it's important for us to remember the culture of the day because at this time in history, Jews were not popular in the Roman Empire. They had been kicked out of Rome altogether. And this is how bad it was. This is what Luke tells us. After Gallio dismisses the charges and drives the Jews out, the crowd is going to turn on Sosthenes, okay, who is the current synagogue leader. And Luke tells us that they will beat him right there in front of Gallio and right there in front of the Roman soldiers who just watched it happen. They did nothing to stop it or nothing to intervene. They allowed that to happen. That's how bad it was. That's how poorly Jews were being treated. Okay, so fast forward. So Paul's no longer in Corinth, right? Some time has passed. It's a couple years. Because Paul never stays in any one location for very long. His job, his goal and desire is to plant churches. And what has happened is he has received reports and letters with regards to the church in Corinth. And so Paul's going to take a moment and he's going to write a letter. He's going to respond to them. And this is what I find interesting. This is what struck me. Paul begins his letter to the church in Corinth with these words. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Okay, so I read that this past week and it totally threw me off. It didn't make any sense to me. Is this the same Thosthenes who brought Paul before Gallio with all these charges? Is this the same Sosthenes, these names are ridiculous, Sosthenes that got beaten by the crowds? Is that who Paul is talking about here? You know, it's interesting, we have no way of really knowing, but most scholars would say it is. Sosthenes was not a common name, and these are smaller communities, so it's not like there would have been a ton of them there. So if he is the same person, then I find it amazing how God can transform someone like Sosthenes, someone who opposed the early church so vehemently, he could transform him into an advocate for the church. Greetings from Sosthenes. 
I mean, if I think about it, isn't that exactly what he did with Paul? Didn't he take Paul, somebody who was murderously threatening the church, and bring him into the biggest advocate for it? Don't ever give up on those around you who don't yet call on the name of Christ. You know, even if they seem to be offended by the church or they seem to hate us, don't give up on them because we don't know what God is doing in their lives. Make sure you're available for whatever he's up to. All right. That brings us up to 1 Corinthians. You'll be able to find it on page 868 in your pew Bibles if you've not yet done so. And I would encourage you to pull out the Bibles, your Bibles, just so that you can follow along. Okay? So here's what Paul wrote. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified. Now, pause here for a second. Sanctified in this sense means just literally set apart. To those who have been set apart in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know what grace is, right? Grace is this unearned, it is God's favor and his forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. Because there is nothing we could do to earn it. It is this gift, which is an expression of God's deep and abiding love for us. Grace. Grace and peace. Peace in the Bible is this image of shalom. It is about wholeness in every area of life. Imagine if everything in your life was going well. Your family, your kids listened to you and did what you asked them to. Your job was going well. Imagine if everything in life was good. That's the image of peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice that this includes the church everywhere. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and then he is stepping back and saying to the church everywhere, to all who call on the name of Christ. It is a reminder that while the church exists in specific locations, we actually belong to one another everywhere. The church here in Sharpsville is connected to the church in Egypt and the church in China, and the church in Africa, and in Korea. We have brothers and sisters all over this world who call on the name of Jesus. If you've ever traveled, especially within the context of the church, it's amazing how many times other Christians throughout the world will greet you with warmth just to meet a brother or sister in Christ. I had this really interesting experience after the earthquake in Haiti. Scott and I had flown in just a couple days after the earthquake. For those of you who don't know our story, Nick and I and the kids spent a, a year in Haiti, um, and it bridged the earthquake. So Scott, who's a good friend of mine, and I flew back into Haiti right after the earthquake. And that Sunday, we worshiped at a church which existed right across the road from our compound. It's the church that Nick and I have been going to with the kids for the last four months. And you know that Sunday, as Scott and I sat there in the midst of worship in a church that had just experienced one of the greatest destructions, devastations in this age. As we sat there in church, the priest paused for a moment, and he gave thanks through tears because we were there. Because he said, you know what? You guys have not forgotten us, my brothers. Thank you for being here. It was an amazing, amazing moment. You know, nationalism is a big deal. I think it's always kind of been a big deal. But in Christ, the church does not have a nationality. 
We have to transcend our borders. I think it's something important for us to remember. Okay, back to 1 Corinthians. So I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Okay, let's pause again. Paul is giving thanks in this moment because God has poured out his grace upon those in Corinth. Again, grace, right? Paul is giving thanks because of what God has done, not because of the church itself. I want to give you an example of this. You know, a couple years ago, my brother let me know that he had started to attend church. And it just blew me away. Because my brother is an interesting guy. Someday we're going to get him out here and you guys will meet him. But he's a tattoo artist. And so he is covered in ink from head to toe. And so when he called me and said, you know, this God thing is kind of cool. It filled me with joy. And in that situation, I gave thanks to God, not for what my brother was doing, but for what God was doing in my brother's life. And what's even more interesting, when I shared that first with a bunch of you a couple years ago, you joined me in giving thanks to God for what he was up to. Does that make sense? Paul is giving thanks here for what God is doing in the church in Corinth. Not because the church in Corinth was this perfect and holy church. Because as we study the letter, what we're going to realize is that there's a lot of brokenness and woundedness in the church. There is a lot of brokenness and woundedness in every church. And yet we can give thanks. We can praise God. Okay, let's finish this out. Therefore... You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul will wrap up his introduction with the reminder that Christ is going to return you know, as I read Paul's various letters, as we have studied them, I get the sense that the expectation was Christ would return soon. In fact, it's intriguing. Right after his resurrection, Luke records for us that the disciples had asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the day of our Lord? 2,000 years later, we are still waiting. And I can't help wondering if we haven't lost a little bit of the urgency that Paul speaks about. A bit of that expectation. We're going to come back to this because it will show up again in our letter. I think it's what is undergirding Paul's instructions on marriage. So we're going to put that on hold for now. The point I want to make this morning, the thing that strikes me as I read this introduction, and there's so much here. I have this really bad habit. I, I picked up four commentaries to study Corinthians because I was like, yeah, this letter is going to be a lot. And so I bought all these commentaries. So I'm doing all this reading, and Nick is like, you can't say any of that. And I'm like, well, then what's the sense? Why do we read these books? Yeah. There's so much there. I actually wish we were doing a Bible study on this because it's really kind of amazing. But what strikes me in regards to our introduction is this idea of calling. Paul will use the word call four times in the first nine verses, which got me to think in this past week about the difference between call and invitation because we seem to use these somewhat interchangeably. So let me ask you, what type of events have you been invited to? What kind of things do you find invitations for? What's that? Parties. Yes, I love those. Weddings? Weddings, parties. What other kind of things do we get invited to? Showers. Because you can't shower in your own house? Oh. 
baby in bridal showers. Gotcha. There are all kinds of things we're invited to, right? We get invitations for a cup of coffee. We get invitations to the pastor's house for Christmas Day, which not a lot of you came out to. Next year, we'll work on that. Invitations. We get invitations all the time. Invitations are typically tied to events, right? And we make plenty of them here at our church. Maureen recently had said to me, you know, our congregation has a lot of things going on, which we do. Bundle Babies is this amazing knitting and crocheting group that started around the desire to care for newborn babies. They meet on Tuesday mornings. There's a Bible study that meets on Tuesday evenings. We hold music practice on Wednesday evenings. Roots and Foundations is a class that meets on Sunday mornings before worship. There is a group that meets twice a month called Joy. It's our older youth group. There's a preschool that meets throughout the week. There are a number of softball teams that practice in our gym throughout the winter. There are Girl Scouts and Daisies, which is kind of confusing because I thought daisies were flowers. I didn't know they were little kids. Um, we gather to play and to eat and to study God's word. We gather for all sorts of reasons. And when we do, we typically put out invitations. We encourage both those within and those without the church to join us. But those are all tied to events. Calling is a little bit different, especially in regards to what Paul is talking about. So in verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle. In verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally in verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. So what is it that makes calling unique? What is it that sets it apart? It's something we're all familiar with, isn't it? You know, we often talk about our life's calling. We have careers or jobs, and that's over here. But then we have this idea of calling. So Tessie, as you guys know, is studying elementary ed at Grove City. She wants to become a teacher if she can survive college. During her first semester, she called me and said to Nick and me, she said, you know, Dad, I'm thinking about dropping out and becoming a janitor. That way I can hang out with all my friends and I don't have all this work to worry about. We discourage that, of course. Being a teacher will be Tessie's career. It's going to be the job I think she was, is going to pursue. But Tessie's calling, Nick and I both affirm, is a calling to children. As Nick and I have watched her grow up, she has this amazing way with kids. She loves kids. Calling has much more weight to it than the idea of invitation. Invitations are to events, they're to moments in time. Whereas calling has this lifelong sense to it. It is the foundation for everything in our lives. I think that Paul wants to remind the church in Corinth about the significance of their calling in Christ. You know, while we could say that we've been invited into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Paul, I believe, is making the point that a better way to understand our relationship with God is actually in the language of calling. That to believe is a lifelong choice or decision, and it is the foundation for everything that we do. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is surrounded by the crowds, and they have been following him for days. And he turns to them, and he says, I want you to count the cost of becoming a disciple. Because here's the reality. There is a cost. Paul, at the beginning of this letter, wants to remind the church in Corinth right here that the choice to follow Christ is a big deal. He is doing this because some of the issues and the conflicts that he will address throughout the rest of the letter are going to require courage to work out. Some of the changes that God longs for in our lives are not easy. At times they produce 
a lot of kicking and screaming from us, don't they? I mean, who has ever thrown a temper tantrum when you realize God wanted from you? But here's the beauty. The transformation that God longs for us, that he longs for in the church, thank him, is not just rooted in us. The transformation he's longing for is actually somewhat dependent upon him. Go back again to verses 8 and 9. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's important to remember that while God has called us into this fully committed relationship with him, he doesn't simply then just walk away and leave us to our own. It is God who will keep us firm if we let him, if we trust him, if we call on his name. Paul, in this introduction, is setting the ground for work for what is to come by reassuring the Corinthians and consequently us that we are not alone in this journey. Calling is meant to be an assurance to us that even in the midst of struggle, and let's be honest, if we're paying any attention, there is struggle in faith. In the midst of struggle, God has us. Until Christ's return, until the day of the Lord when everything will be renewed and sin will be overcome, God has us, and he's not giving up. This is the image I want you to hold on to as we go throughout this letter, the image of being called. Think about a time when you were selected and set apart, when you were chosen. Maybe it is when you were first hired for a job or when you had received an award. Maybe it was, okay, that little thing is going to drive me nuts. Um, sorry. Maybe it happened when you fell in love and you stood at the altar and your spouse-to-be said, I do to you. There are all sorts of moments in our lives where we are chosen and set apart from everyone else when it is about us. And it is in those moments that we find a sense of confidence that there is something about us that is worthwhile, that there is something within us that is good. God is saying to us all through Paul that I have called you. I have set you apart to be a holy people in Christ Jesus. You are my church. You're not going to be perfect. You're not going to get it all together. But as long as you are willing to call upon my name, you are mine. That's what I think Paul wants us to take home this morning. Let us pray. Lord, there is something deeply assuring about the idea that we are yours, that you have called us and set us apart. And that identity doesn't give us the freedom to be goofballs. But it gives us the assurance that in times when it does get hard, we can trust that you have us. Lord, to you and to you alone, we give all thanks and praise. Amen. We're going to sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And when we sing this, I just want to invite you to think about the ways in which God has called you and the ways he has been faithful in your journey throughout that calling. Please stand if you're able.
be seated. So once again, we will turn to our bulletin insert into the list of prayer concerns that you find on the back side of it. A couple updates before we turn to God in prayer. First, um, Jerry's niece, who we have been praying for, who had transitioned into hospice past this past week. So we will be praying for Sandy and the, or for the family and for friends as they mourn the loss of Sandy. Uh, Janie Weigel will be going into surgery on Wednesday for breast cancer. She'll be in prayers for her. And I had heard that everything went good with Rhonda's surgery. So is Bonnie up with her? Okay. So Bonnie's up with her daughter, Rhonda, who had surgery this past week. So continue to keep her in your prayers for recovery. Are there any other updates? Are there any prayer concerns you would like to add to the list? L Linda, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Okay.
Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, they do, aren't they? All right. So last week, Linda had asked for prayers for her twin brother, Lee, because he had had some problems with memory loss. His memories come back. I don't know if that's a good thing, but his memory has come back. Um, and he is at home and is doing okay, but they do need to figure out what's going on here. And I chatted with Edna, and yeah, with that stroke behind her eye, she has lost that eye permanently. So she's adjusting to driving and all kinds of things with one eye. So be in prayer for her as she kind of figures this out and as the doctors are doing a bunch of testing to figure out where to go and what to do to help her. And then Nancy and Will. Nancy is one of the bundle babies. She's a big help and encouragement to Linda. Her husband's been having problems now for a bit. So the fact that he passed out three times last night, yeah, we've been prayer that, that they, the doctors can figure something out there. Great. Thanks, Linda. Go ahead, Jeannie. Okay. 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 So we've been praying for David and Dick. David is Jeannie's son whose health has been always kind of bumpy and a little bit rough. So he's got some testing coming up. Hopefully he'll be able to find some answers and maybe find some healing. And for Dick and for his continued healing and for those upcoming appointments. All right, thanks, Jeannie. Other concerns? Oh, what's up? Okay, what's your neighbor's name? Mrs. Siege, that's, Ms. Ar that's Arlene, right? Okay, so Arlene is on our list in the cancer section. Um, she, is, she is your neighbor, so she's not been feeling good? Okay, all right, we will, we will remember that in prayer. Great. Okay, go ahead, Nancy. Mike Young. Okay, so we'll pray for Mike and the healing from the heart attack. Great. Charlie? Okay. Good. Okay. Fantastic. We've been praying for Steve. He had a kidney transplant recently, and so we're, it's good to hear that everything's good. Great. Thanks, Charlie. That's Andy. Are both sick. RSV, yeah. Good. Good. So our nursery attendant, Kelly, you guys know Kelly, uh, her son Dawson came down with RSV this past week, and that's a little scary with the kids. So, but he's doing well. Um, he's recovering, and Paisley, the family's been sick. I think most people have been sick in the last couple weeks. So, yeah. Great. Jenna, did you have something? No? Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So Shirley is heading back up to Cleveland this afternoon for her continued uh, chemo treatment. So keep her in your prayers. She's not just here to perform medical experiments on y'all. Yeah, actually, don't shake her hand because if you get her sick, we're in a lot of trouble. So just say hi from a distance. All right. Great. Go ahead, Jeannie. 
Jeannie is also adding Alexa her daughter. Great. All right. Let us turn to God then in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for the life, death, and for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And for the assurance that we find in him that we belong to you. Lord, this week was a little bit of a rough one. We pray for the downing of the Ukrainian plane and for the friends and the family of the 176 people who lost their lives. Yeah, some mistakes are so very costly. Lord, earthquakes having an impact in Puerto Rico, tornadoes in the south and Midwest. Lord, we turn to you. We pray for those we know most intimately, our friends and our family members. We lift up Bill and Elaine, Paisley and Dawson, Edna. We pray for David and for Dick and George, for Kevin and Steve. We give thanks. We pray for Jacob and his two sons and for Janet and Lee and Miles and Bob and Miriam and Paul. We add to that list this morning Lexi and Gabby, Mike Young, and Nancy and Will. We pray for those who are being treated for cancer. We lift up Belle and Krista and Shannon and Rich, Brenda and Brooke and Harrison. We pray for Debbie and George and Jean, for Shirley as she travels to Cleveland today, for Jim and Kathy and Kim, for Nancy and Mark. For Luke and Ed and Rhonda and Shirley and Patty and Christopher and Rick. We pray for Arlene, for Susan and Alex and Pete and Mrs. Weaver and Janie. Lord, we lift up the family and friends of Sandy this morning as they mourn her death. You promise to comfort those in mourning, so we ask that you would make your presence known. We pray for those who are currently serving in the armed services. We remember all who have served, given their lives in the act of service. We pray for our sister churches here in the valley, for Faith United Presbyterian and First Assembly of God, both in Hermitage. And finally, Lord, we just take a moment of silence as we lift any prayer concerns that have not been spoken out loud. Lord, we lift these prayers to you in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is both our Lord and our Savior, and the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please take a moment if you've not yet done so and put your name in our pew pads. We really appreciate that. So here's Romans chapter 12, a part of it read from the message. Paul says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. It's a reminder that everything we have and everything we are is an offering to God. So at this time, as we continue in worship, let us make our offerings to the Lord. If you're visiting with us this morning, please don't feel obligated to make an offering. We're just glad that you joined us.
Let us give thanks. O Lord our God, the author and giver of all good things, we thank you. We ask that in all things you would make us wise, that we may render an acceptable thanksgiving unto you all the days of our lives. It is through Christ our Lord that we pray. Amen. Our closing song is Ancient of Days. It has a little bit of energy to it. Don't be afraid to dance if you want to. All right? That goes for the pastor, too. Last week, I tried a little dance move up here. Most of you couldn't see it, but Ryan was not very excited about what I was doing, so he kind of, yeah, we've stopped dancing. As we follow Ryan from the sanctuary this morning with the light of Christ, I just want you to remember that God has you. He really does, and he is faithful. Hear now the benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.